Didn't expect that, did ya? Hello all you candy-assed mango mavens. Wait, that's not chocolate on your bottoms, is it? This is your snickering Nugent-centered host, Matthew Sanborn-Smith, and his Toblerone-ing wango-tango Beware the Hairy Mango. Today's episode is brought to you by Uncle Ben and Jerry's Instant Rice Cream. Since we're in the middle of a big creamy pile of our longest episodes ever, my first thought was, obviously, how can I make today's uncomfortably long show even longer? Twitter pal and mango-file John Miro came to my rescue by writing and podcasting an entire novella just so I could extend this show by the length of his 30-second promo. Listen up! 20 years after the American Civil War, former slave Marcus Riggs found himself trapped in a British harbor after the invaders came to enslave all mankind. They came, they conquered, they died. Out of the ashes, new orders struggle to rule the former empires of Earth, but the invaders aren't completely beaten, only biding their time. Asunder, written and performed by John Miro. Learn more at servingworld.com. I know that sudden shift to quality audio production got your attention. Now you're back to crappy me. When you're done with me, go check out Asunder. Links in the show notes. We're deep within our multi-pirate epic, and if you haven't been paying attention, that's okay, because not much of anything has happened. I can't even believe you came back for more. A guy named Cade got on a boat. That's pretty much it. You don't even need to listen to the last show. You're welcome. Now you can walk the nearest plank and dive right into the Careerist Guide to the Sea, Part 2. The Careerist Guide to the Sea, Part 2, by Matthew Sanborn Smith. Of course it goes without saying that knowledge is power, and knowledge of all things nautical guarantees a one-way passage to your port of success. A strategically placed knot here, an appropriate sea shanty there, and all hands will be on deck with you, singing your praise and waiting for you to give the call for mutiny. See Chapter 7, The Fast Track to Management, from The Careerist Guide to the Sea. There was a rope that Cade thought of as his. Late into their first day out, Captain Syrup had stormed onto deck, screaming at the lot of slack asses they all apparently were, and how she would keel haul every last one of them, and bodies started moving like Cade had never seen before. Being the quick learner that he was convinced he was, he grabbed hold of a rope and started pulling like there was a prize at the end. The captain stopped screaming, and Cade had learned the most essential skill needed to be a sailor on these treacherous seas the art of looking busy. Time and again, when screaming started, no matter where he was on the ship, Cade bolted for that rope, which was surprisingly always available. It took him five days at sea to realize that the rope wasn't connected to anything, another hour to snake it around some piece of wood, stand somewhere else, and begin the process of pulling it all the way back. And now three weeks into their voyage, the young man had earned himself a reputation as a real career man. Life on the open sea soon became pretty routine once Cade had learned his way around. Apart from the occasional storm, pirate raid, giant man-eating kraken, monsoon, genie lamp, tidal wave, sea battle, island of harpies, recovered treasure, treasure chests, and nymphomaniac mermaid, the last two weeks had seemed downright boring. Cade still had a little trouble with some of the more technical terms, but I'd picked up enough to get by. When the captain started sputtering her seagoing gibberish, and then looked at him as if waiting for an answer, he'd simply shout out, Bosun! or Yadam, or some other nautical-sounding term that he didn't quite understand. She seemed to accept his answer and leave him alone. There was talk among the officers of a promotion for young Cade as soon as somebody died. A man couldn't ask for more than that. It was about this time that they spotted that ship. That ship was painted hot pink and was festooned with multicolored streamers, looking like a floating birthday cake. Cade had never seen anything like it, yet he dared not ask a fellow crew member what it was. Already he had convinced them that he was an old salt, and it wouldn't do not to 
to know things like this. He gauged the reaction of his mates, and it was grim. Without orders, swords and guns were drawn, and cannon were manned. Cade drew his own sword to the astonished murmurs of some nearby. He knew that with the quality of the exquisite blade, his legend would only grow. As the vessel drew closer, Cade scanned his own decks for Captain Syrup and found her, sword raised, ready to give the order to attack if necessary. The determination on her face made him certain there would be battle this day, and soon the ship came up alongside them. With the wind coming from the west, Cade hadn't heard the music until now. There were musicians on deck. They played a gay tune, and the men and women aboard this strange ship danced half-naked jigs. There wasn't a big gun aboard her, and Cade looked at his own weapon, feeling ridiculous. But the others on his ship... No, his wasn't a ship, not compared to this foreign thing of magnificence. His was a tub. The others on his tub held steady, awaiting the order to fight. There were riches on her decks as well. Gold coins, glittering jewels, strings of pearls and platinum cards were strewn across the decks without care. No wonder they were dancing. Wine flowed and feasts were laid out on their tables. They had fresh fruit, a hundred pounds of it if they had an ounce. I've joined the wrong crew, Cade thought, but now he understood. Captain Syrup was planning to board her and take her riches. They'd convinced him that they weren't truly pirates, but perhaps a bounty like this was too great for even honest sailors to pass up. Still, they'd never be closer than they were now. A strong man could literally jump onto their decks from here. But the captain made no move. What was going on? Then Cade saw her. A slender woman, strawberry blonde, swaying beneath the afternoon sunshine in half of a stunning gown the color of the sea. There was a glow about her and now he realized that her eye was upon him and wasn't leaving him. She was the most beautiful woman Cade had ever seen. Now, owing to the fact that his social circles had, to this point, been mostly confined to farmers, thieves, and sailors, that wasn't saying a lot, but it was true just the same. He didn't understand the relationship between the two ships, but he knew this when he looked into the eyes of that woman. There lay his destiny. Sheathing his sword, he stepped up on the rail. They were fast passing, and in another moment it would be too late. Cade leapt and was caught by half a dozen hands from his own crew and pulled back to the deck. It was over. His dream was out of reach. What the hell did you do that for? He screamed at his mates as they pinned him. It's not what you think, son, old Drinkwater said. It's a devil ship, that is. The hell you say? God's own truth, Cade, said Nick. We had to save you from yourself. Hear this, Milby said. Twas two year agone when we spied the ship. Not that one, but another just the like. And her crew is gay and inviting. They beckoned us aboard like that she-devil beckoned you just now. Us not knowing, we went nearly to our dooms. His wild yellow eyes held Cade transfixed, so much so that the spittle that flew from Milby's mouth went unnoticed, even as it sprayed Cade's face. Oh, they were welcoming, all right, Milby continued. Let us partake of their riches, their food, their carnal companionship, as if we were as close to them as they were to each other. Wine, mead, rum, more than we'd ever seen in our lives, and they wouldn't allow our cups to go empty. Aye, we thought we'd found a paradise, all right. Until the next morning. What happened then? Cade demanded. Had there been a seat available, he was certain he'd be on the edge of it. Such a headache, Drinkwater cried out. Like nothing you've ever felt, Nick said. Milby held his skull just thinking of it. I felt like there was a hole in my head that even God himself could put his fist through. And my mouth felt dry too, Nick said. Not a thing from that devil ship did we keep, Drinkwater hissed. Not even what we thought was our belly's own. You idiots, Cade roared. You were hung over. Hung over what? Nick asked. You weren't hung over anything. You were just hung over. The old sailors eyed each other knowingly. 
He's mad, Drinkwater said. Driven mad by temptation. Cade stopped struggling against them and fell back. A once-in-a-lifetime woman, and I've missed out on her because this mighty crew of sailors fears headaches. "'Twas no earthly headache!' Milby cried. "'Had Zeus himself split my skull with a thunderbolt, it would have hurt less!' "'That ship!' Cade moaned. "'What was she called?' "'They have no names,' Jeremiah said. "'But they belong to a fleet she and her sister ship called—' "'He paused for the appropriate amount of suspense. "'The Cruise Line!' "'An audible gasp went up around the group, "'and Milby let go of Cade to hold his hands over his ears. "'You can let me up now,' Cade said. They did, and he tried to see that tantalizing woman one more time, but could no longer make out individuals aboard the party ship. Instead, he committed it to memory and vowed to catch up with her. Someday. Then there was that other ship, just four days later, the one with the naked man screaming. She flew a Napoleon flag, indicating that she was owned by a friendly nation, but there was that naked man on deck jumping about and screaming in a most unfriendly way. They were almost alongside before Cade could read the name emblazoned on her bow. HMS C-Word. Davy shook Cade hard. Hey, they're talking about you. Yeah, they were talking about him. The C-Word's captain was shouting across to Captain Syrup, requesting permission to come aboard. The screaming naked man was nearly foaming at the mouth. Hold out my clothes, you son of a sea cook, the naked man screamed. Almost immediately, his mate seemed to take offense. Here, what of it? My old dad was a sea cook, said one tall lanky one. And I am a sea cook, yelled an older fat man who threw his arms up. I made you some nice eggs with some juice this morning, and this is the thanks I get. Planks were soon thrown across the decks, and the other ship's captain, the naked man, and a small party came aboard the highly exceptional, to be met by Captain Syrup and her officers. Cade felt himself pushed toward the front of the group against his will. Protheridge! Captain Syrup billowed. This man claims you stole his clothing back in Ganther. What have you got to say? I did no such thing, Captain. My own mother gave me these clothes. You lion whore, son! The naked man said. Hey! A man from the seaward yelled. You see the position I'm in, their captain said, hooking a thumb towards his ship. Imagine trying to maintain order with this, and he ain't no beauty, as you can see. Why can't he just put on some other clothes, Syrup asked. He claims there is lucky clothes. Got me through twelve raids and a hanging, the man said. The Seaward's captain approached Cade. He was a grizzled old sea dog in a long blue coat with a tangled graying beard. Cade had never seen a coat with its own beard, tangled or otherwise, and wanted nothing more than to run screaming from the man. Look, I'd be willing to buy them from you, the captain said. It'd be worth it just to get back to normal. Five gold triploons. They're phasing out the old doubloons, you know. But they look like play money, Cade whined. Seven, then. Have the boys bring my chest, he shouted over his shoulder. And faster than it seemed possible, eight burly men came bouncing across the planks. As Cade was unsuccessfully trying to do the doubloon to triploon conversion, he noticed the Lapoleon flag swiftly traveling down the length of the mast. This was followed by the raising of a black flag with a white image on it that he couldn't quite make out. A splash of hot blood on his face gave him the strange sensation that something might be amiss. His sword was drawn before he was even aware of the rabid naked man lunging at him. The man impaled himself upon the magic blade and collapsed in a heap. Poor bastard, Cade said. If only he'd been wearing his lucky clothes. 
Cade searched for his next target in the little pocket of chaos that had erupted before him. The Seaward's captain was the only other man he might vaguely dislike, and only because the promised triploons were not likely to materialize. As soon as the thought congealed, he felt his blade slashing at the grizzled sea dog in that disturbing coat. A cheer went up around both ships as two fresh halves of the former captain hit the deck. Pull back, you dogs! came a feverish scream from the enemy ship, and the surviving members of the boarding party fled back to their craft. Is that all? Captain Syrup asked. The whole thing was that dead idiot's idea, shouted a young man from the rail. You lot don't look much worse for wear. No harm, no foul, eh? Here's your triploons. He threw seven overlarge gold pieces at Cade's feet. But we didn't, Cade began. You'll take it out of my gratitude for the promotion. Steubing's the name, Captain Steubing. The entire crew of the highly exceptional gathered around Cade to examine the new money. By the time anyone thought to look up, the seaward was pushing hard toward the horizon. Man, I hope you guys didn't want cliffhangers, because I am a boil in the bag of disappointment. Find out if you even care what happens in part three of this amazing story, and beware the Harry Mango episode 91. Oh baby, you can easily wait. If this part made you want to run someone's fingers through your coat, you can braid it and other parts right here in the yesterday, today, and tomorrow of BewareTheHarryMango.com. Send out invitations to clog dancing competitions in the comments for this post, or Banshee mail me and we'll wail together over the eventual death of this podcast at Matthew at BewareTheHarryMango.com. Or just the death of its quality long, long ago at BewareTheHarryMango at gmail.com. Of all the shitty podcasts and all the internets and all the world, SF Signal walks into mine. Had I known, I would have cleaned the place up. I never did scrape that raccoon carcass up. It's really become part of the floor by now. SFSignal.com. Go send this show to those not in the know, or blow the nose of those fellows snot in the snow, so this show will grow not so like a faux mango, but earn mo dough like a pro mango, and then wash the boogers off your hands. Tweet toot sweet to your Frenchiest of fries that I'll give a freedom kiss to any and all comers, or goers, at twitter.com slash upwithgravity. Pound my donate button like a speed bag, and support this show like a fresh-from-the-package jockstrap. Your spouse will tell you I'm not worth it, but slip your favorite piece of Chinese under underwear over that package and start your own boxer rebellion. This podcast dribbles from the corner of your mouth all over your mom's new patent leather Creative Commons attribution non-commercial share like 3.0 imported license. This is your Greek god of the podcast circuit, Matthew Sanborn Myth, reminding you that it's the squeaky wheel that gets the grease. My face must be the squeakiest wheel of them all. Good night. Woo! Found my donate button. No, don't do that. Pound my donate button. <laughs>